0: unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible-carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. All right, so welcome back, podcast listeners, Mm -hmm. uh, to the same old song. We're going to look at the sixth Sunday of Easter. Uh, This is going to be Sunday, May 14th. This is Mother's Day. And we should tell people, as we do every year, don't do anything for Mother's Day. That's if you're right. a leader of a congregation, don't give people carnations. Mm-hmm. Don't give people. I don't, don't. We don't have uh, all the mothers stand or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Don't do any of that.
1: And uh, yeah, and there's um, and some people will push back on this and to be like, how dare you? You know, actually, I have officially moved Saint George's Day to May 14th, Mother's Day, for this very reason, and it comes out of a very pastoral kind of yeah. experience.
0: What is Saint George's feast day actually? I
1: think it's like, a, it was like three days ago I don't really care three my days days be- is the new official okay. day yeah, yeah, yeah. And
0: so but uh, um, just yeah. changing the church calendar yeah, why with not? The authority <laughs> invested in you well yeah because there are so many people who don't have a great relationship with their mom people who don't feel that they did a great job of being a mother some people uh, who wish they could have been a mother and are not mm-hmm, yeah. yeah so there's lots of, lots of kind of pain Mother's around this, Day was invented
1: by Hallmark and um, let's just lay it on the table and uh, you know and there's things we should always honor our mothers and things like that but we want to we want to Keep it, keep the focus on the church and on the
0: gospel that 's right, so on this um Oh, you're so hard. (laughs) Just kidding. May 14th, um, we have, uh, again, we're looking at Acts chapter 17, we're looking at 1 Peter still, and we're now kind of going to read the next part of John chapter 14. Um, And this, so if last week we heard about St. Stephen being killed, being martyred, the first martyr of the Christian church, if you ever look at, um, you know, every saint has a seal or some Mm -hmm. sort of like uh, image that's associated with them, Stephen's seal is three rocks. Yeah. Uh, just, I mean, it's pretty metal to me, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, but so, we had that, the death of Stephen, and now we have Paul. So, last Sunday, they would have heard about this guy, Saul, who was, the, yeah. you know, watching the coats while people were stoning Stephen. Now, um, this guy has, is preaching the gospel. So, there's a whole lot you could unpack there if you wanted to talk about how does the guy go from persecuting the church and standing around while Stephen's getting killed and being like this. Mm-hmm. And now... He's in Athens, so he's in a different city, he's in a non-Jewish context, and he's preaching about Jesus Christ to these very sophisticated Greek philosophy types. So, he's at Areopagus, which means Mars Hill. Ares was the Greek god of war, and so this is the hill that was dedicated to kind of his veneration and worship. And, and he's, um, he's now spreading the gospel to these folks, and there's… Uh, it's, it's just a… a beautiful textbook performance of how you want to share the gospel with somebody. Um, You don't begin with, you're terrible, and now let me tell you how to get your life together. He says, Athenians, I see how you're you're spiritual in every way. You're great. I I went through your city, and I saw all your statues. And he doesn't say, your statues are an abomination, and you've got to clean them all out and destroy." No, he says, I went through your statues, and I saw this one to an unknown God. That's awesome. You already know the person I'm talking to you about, but now I'm going to give you who, tell you who that person is. So, um, he uses their own culture. Later on, he quotes, you've heard that phrase, in God in whom we live and move and have our being. Um, it's in one of the collects in the prayer book, and but it's actually a pagan poet. It's only in Scripture because Paul quotes this pagan poet here. Yeah. Um, and so, Paul is basically doing what a good preacher does, mm. which is to… Um, impute to the congregation, to the audience, to the people, Um, not you guys are terrible and you don't know anything, I'm going to straighten you out, but, oh, God is already at work in your life, and let me help you connect the dots a little bit so you can see what's going on, and let me use stuff that you already know, not turning your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 3, but That poet that you've already heard, you know, uh, Kendrick Lamar's latest album, like, there's stuff about God in there. Let's begin with that, as opposed to beginning with something that is totally unfamiliar to them. Because as he says that God has arranged the whole world here, that people um, would find Him and that God is not far from each one of us. Mm. So God, Paul has this beautiful understanding that God is already in the lives of people. And this is, I think, so good for preachers to hear because so many preachers uh, have an elevated view of themselves and think that they are God's gift to the congregation or the hearers, not realizing that God is already at work in every single life in there and that God is closer to them um, than they realize and that we realize. So I think all of that to me is is just a beautiful way to think about preaching. you know if i was preaching this to people i realize it's more like a looking at this verse as a way to think about the act of preaching but if i was preaching on this passage to the congregation I would, I, would, I would probably double down on that idea of that, that God wants to be found and is already closer to you than you imagine, and there may be some surprising ways He's already working your life and, um, and trying to help people see that, uh, again, c- correct that view of God, that God is far away and mad at me, and say that God is already close to you and working, and maybe in surprising places, that, yeah. outside of church even. Who'd have thunk it?
1: Yeah, maybe we could call this Sunday Apologetic Sunday, you yeah. know. And I think uh, right that'll here, that'll pack them in. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so uh, come on, but, Timmy, uh, it's
0: Apologetic Sunday.
1: So, but uh, no, I think, uh, but I think we see right here Paul doing what Mockingbird actually does best. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Paul didn't go in and he, one, he didn't insult the culture. He went in and uh, he uh, didn't. Uh, he didn't acquiesce to it. He baptizes it. And, uh, and he points out, and I love what Jesus says, too, when he rolls into Jerusalem and uh, and uh, the, the religious leaders approach him and they're like, hey, get your disciples to settle down. And he's like, if they stopped, the very stones would cry out. And uh, right here, what we see is uh, 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 the Apostle Paul recognizing this, that the very stones are crying out, literally this altar to an unknown God. Yeah. And uh, that's the thing is that uh, I think, you know, and that's a great thing for preachers, too, is to begin to see where uh, the culture is crying out and then use the culture to give them the goods. Don't just kind of stop there and pontificate about how amazing, like, oh, this particular thing is. But get right to the goods. In him we live and move and have our being. And then to the place. And it's interesting because... uh, People were like, we may have to check you out later. You know what I mean? And so, and yeah. I think that that's the other thing, too, is, yeah. is that um, not every time are you going to have, like, it's going to be a big success. Right. And so, and I think, you know, you hear, see, you here you see St. Paul uh, sweating it out a little bit. Um, it wasn't uh, quite a massive success. But at the end of the day, here's the gospel is that he has, uh, on, it says that he calls them to a time he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he's fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And 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 of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And uh, you, dear listener, have the assurance that your sins are forgiven and that in him you live and move and now have your being. Why? Well, it's not because of a warm feeling, but because it is because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead for you. This is what it is. And so what we're always doing is we're looking at the culture and we're looking where the stones are crying out so that we can proclaim Christ for you and what he's done for you. And, uh, you know, and some people will be like, well, we got to get back to you on that one. Yep. And others will be like, dang, cut to the heart. And, uh, you know, I'm still waiting for three thousand to be added to my number <laughs> yeah, daily. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. uh, there it is. So one day. But, uh, um, but, you know, this flows in perfectly into uh, the our epistle reading from First uh, Peter.
0: Yeah, absolutely, because it is, you know, to your point about Apologetic Sunday, this is Peter now giving instructions to this church community, and he's writing not just to one, he's writing to multiple churches, And he's, mm-hmm. but he's talking here about how one should talk with others about your faith. So, just like Paul shows us, he doesn't come at folks with a judgmental, arrogant attitude or telling them why they're wrong, he finds points of connection and, um, and views them really positively. Same thing Peter says, um, always be ready to… in his famous verse, this is, I don't know if anybody had this as a memory verse, but always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Many Christians are ready to make their defense, not always with gentleness and respect. They they missed that last little piece. Mm-hmm. So he's um, he's basically uh, and then he, he points out how Jesus, by the way, treated people Uh, and what He did. He gets right to the gospel that Jesus suffered the righteous for the unrighteous in order to bring people to God, even that He goes to the spirits in prison in this confusing, you know, people have lots of ideas about what He might be talking about, but Jesus um, has this great desire to to save people, to bring people in, and and that's why we speak to people with gentleness and respect, because we realize that Jesus loves hard cases. Mm -hmm. Jesus loves everybody, and so um, that should be the motive of how Christians interact in the world, uh, gentleness and respect, because of the great love that Jesus shows to all kinds of folks. So this is something that um, is uh, is I, I, we, I think there's um, I think there's many people in the church that that need to kind of hear this and sadly don't. But and this is a passage that for me is to preach to a congregation. Uh, to me, it's. Um, I would—I'd rather do it in a Bible study than a sermon yeah. uh, to kind of talk about this stuff. But if you—if you were to preach it, um, I would probably uh, actually not talk about any of the stuff I just said. Although I might. But the thing at the beginning where he says. Even if you suffer for what is doing right, you are blessed. And to, to me, this brings in a real Sermon on the Mount kind of thing. Blessed are those who are who pursued, exactly blessed right. are those who are meek, blessed are those who hunger. So this is, you. you and you can, you can hear in Peter's writings, because he would have been there at the Sermon on the Mount mm-hmm. and the Sermon on the Plain. And all the times Jesus talked about how everybody whose life is in a rough patch is actually blessed. Peter heard that many times from Jesus' own lips, and so he uses it here as he talks about even if you're suffering, you are blessed. And um, I've probably talked about it before on this podcast, but those hats that say too blessed to be stressed, mm. um, every time I see one of those, I rip it off the person's head, I slap them in the face with it, I throw it on the ground, light it on fire, and then stamp it into ashes mm-hmm. um, in the name of Jesus. Yeah. No. I don't do any of that, but I sort of think about that because um, Jesus' point in the Sermon on the Mount is not too blessed to be stressed. It is that when you are stressed, you are still blessed. Yeah. You don't, if you are worried, if you are anxious, if you are stressed, it doesn't mean you failed. It means you're human, and Jesus says that God can work even in and through those situations. Because if Jesus Himself can sweat blood in Gethsemane, I mean, I hope nobody walked up to Him and said, Jesus too blessed to be stressed, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, Jesus got stressed. He was, you mm-hmm. know, when Lazarus was died, he was like, you know, mm-hmm. just shaken to the core. Yeah. So, anyways, you can be stressed and blessed at the same time. So, somebody make that hat yeah. and I will, I will sue well, you for I think, stealing uh, my intellectual property.
1: You know, I think though. I mean, the truth is, is that this is a powerful passage to talk about with people who are really stressed out And the fact is, is that we're all stressed out in part because we're all um, trying to cling to some sort of identity apart from Jesus or Jesus plus, you know what I mean? I'm I'm a progressive Christian, you know, I'm a conservative Christian, I'm a this type of Christian, I'm a that, I'm a mockingbird Christian, you know what I mean? And we're always looking for some sort of identity. And uh, this is why um, uh, uh, St. Peter tells them, do not fear what they fear and do not be intimidated Do not be intimidated, but in your heart sanctify Christ as Lord. Uh, That is, uh, recognize that when Jesus has claimed you, he shares that identity with absolutely nothing and no one else. And so what he's telling them, because they're about to get, the spit's about to hit the fan for these people. And he's telling them, your confidence had better be in the gospel. Like, that's where it's at, and he's like, and he's, and then he reminds them what the gospel is. It's not like, hey, everybody straighten out and get tough. No, he reminds them, he says, it's better to suffer for doing good because they were being accused for all sorts of craziness, cannibalism, atheism, all sorts of things. And as a Christian, you're going to be accused for all sorts of craziness yourself. You know, you've been called an antinomian, you've been called loose on the law, you've been called all of these things. And so he reminds them what the gospel is. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. Full stop. You've been brought to God. Now, the world is going to still accuse you, and this might freak some of our you know, uh, uh, more Baptistic friends out, but it's okay. Just hear me and stay with me. Um, but, uh, but what he does is then he draws them to something outside of themselves. And so, okay, I've heard it, I've heard it, I've heard it, but how do I know if he really loves me? You know, how do I know if he really loves me? Well, Peter dips back like he did in the previous chapter back into the Old Testament and he uses this illustration from noah and he says talking about the building of the ark and everybody thought noah was crazy too you know you and your it's sunny outside and 90 degrees what are you doing building a boat you know what i mean and he says you know but this Baptism, which this prefigured now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, this is what Luther, it was a very relatively new idea in Christendom to say, you know, um, I became a Christian because I did this. No, the appeal was I was baptized. You know, that that was the day I've been baptized. Now, we can get into magic and spraying hoses all day long, but... When the spit hits the fan in your life and your identity is being called on the, on the carpet and you're being challenged to the very core of who you are and you're beginning to wonder if you're even a Christian anymore, mm. uh, going inside is not going to help you. You know what I mean? All I find when I go into my heart is more cholesterol than sin.
0: <laughs> I quoted you from the pulpit with that <laughs> a few minutes ago.
1: I mean, I need to be drawn. And where do I find that I remember that? Because I have been baptized. And when I was baptized there, Christ marked me as His own and sealed me by His Holy Spirit once and forever. And so this is what Peter is drawing them to. People are going to accuse you and going to challenge your identity. But remember, your identity has already been given. It's in Jesus Christ and the gospel is as he's died for you to bring you to God. And how do you know? Well, don't look inward, please. That's not helpful when it's really fallen apart. Look to those outward signs that he's given you Uh, in the name of the, where he's placed his name, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is my body, this is my blood broken for you and these are the commands that Jesus begins to talk about in the gospel.
0: Amen. Uh, I have two things I want to say. One, um, it is verse 21 of First Peter chapter 3, this text, which says, baptism now saves you, which is, again, that it's kind of a little bit controversial because people want to say, no, I made a decision. And that's when I got saved. And then, just because Jesus said to, I got baptized, but that doesn't really matter. And, but that's what you're saying, is that that's a new idea, and that Christianity has long, as when the Ethiopian eunuch is converted, he says, oh, there's water, let's go get baptized. Like, it's the idea that baptism is some afterthought um, is Mm -hmm. so far from the truth. I mean, that's how Jesus begins his own ministry, is being baptized, Mm -hmm. and so. uh, And this is what he commands us to do. And it makes it so that, yeah, it's not that how I'm feeling today about the Lord, how's your walk with the Lord, Jake? It's okay. Okay. So, but even if it wasn't, you're baptized. <laughs> yeah. And again, it totally, it's outside of whatever you're thinking or feeling and your mood swings or whatever you're doing today. Um, and it's just, it's, it's so Yeah. Peter beautiful. and Acts, repent and be baptized each yeah. and every one of you. And this is a gift for you and for your children. But I also want to ask, yeah. do you say when the spit hits the fan, which you've said twice in this podcast, mm-hmm. saving us from our first ever explicit rating on Apple Podcasts. Mm-hmm. We um, always
1: teeter on the edge. You were
0: on the edge. Do you say that from the pulpit? I'm just curious. No. Spit hits the fan. Sometimes. It's a little... I think maybe I have once know, or twice, but it's edgy, but
1: we're in New York City. What'd he say? What'd so he say? Okay. So anyway, yeah. but, uh, but uh, I think, uh, let's go to that that was just
0: That was just a personal question. Yeah, Thank no. you for hearing me.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Another podcast called Confessions. Have you so. heard, seen there's an Instagram thing like awkward sermons you can't unhear? Uh, and it's <laughs> preachers doing things like they mean to say, spit hits yeah, the fan, yeah. but they say something else. So, yeah. anyways, just be careful as your brother in the mm-hmm. Lord. I'm just Thank saying. Thank you. Okay. No. All right. Well, I that think... was very measured and calculated as I was doing it. So anyway, keep going. So we turn now um, from the saving waters of baptism to uh, Jesus' speech in John 14 as he continues, and he. Um, this is a passage I love to preach because it's so it's so good. Um, good, and it also it gives you an opportunity to again do this thing, which podcast listeners, we talked about last week, but if you're here live, I just talked about 20 minutes ago, recalibrate how people understand God, recalibrate the, I think, often wrong beliefs we make about God. So, he begins by saying, uh, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And again, that immediately um, kind of triggers that wrong understanding that we have that God is about if-then propositions. Quid pro quo. If you are good, then I will bless you. If you are a good Christian, then you'll get into heaven. Um, sort of Santa Claus. He sees you when you're sleeping. He yeah. knows when you're awake. Uh, he knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. So when you hear, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You hear that as, if you really love me, you'll do sort of a, I mean, like a guilt manipulation, sort of trying to get you to be good. But what, what we know from our understanding of the gospel is that what Jesus is saying is if it, It's not a prescription, meaning do this. It's describing somebody who loves Jesus does do that thing of trusting in Him. And so, keeping my commandments, again, what are the commandments? Is it to only listen to uh, Christian music or to, to only say that the spit hits the fan and not anything else hitting the fan? And what does it mean to keep Jesus' commandments? To be nice all the time like Ned Flanders or… Um, no. <laughs> It means to trust in Jesus, put your whole trust in His grace and His love. And so, it's, it's almost… it's, it's saying… The pe- what he's saying is, the people who love me, love me.
1: That's right. Essentially. And, and, but you're not doing it on your own. Uh, you, you have
0: know, an advocate. Yeah. You have an advocate. A, a helper, paraclete. a
1: comforter, a paraclete. Yeah. And so, who will be with you forever. And this is the spirit of the truth. And this is what it says in the distinction right here and why the world is always busy trying to climb some sort of imaginary ladder up to God. But uh, uh, the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him. Why? Well, because you're not on your own, but because He's abiding in you, and yeah. He'll be in you. I mean, literally, this is, as we were talking about, the living temple. Yep. God's Spirit
0: now literally dwells in you. Yeah. And I think that is something many Christians forget. I am, it never fails to move me when I am celebrating the Eucharist or standing at the altar and listening to one of our other clergy celebrate the Eucharist. Um, we talk at the end of that prayer that He may dwell in us and we in Him. And that just blows my mind every single time that we are saying, I don't know if anybody believes it, but we are saying that the God of the universe, who's incarnate in Christ and who saved us through the death and resurrection of Christ, that that God lives in Jacob Smith, in me, in you, and that we live in Him.
1: And gathered around a beautiful table keeping his command, do this yeah. in remembrance of me. You see, it all plays out. It's, it's got to be uh, words in your ears, and it's got to be ordinary things, these powerful promises coming to you in ordinary things, meeting you right where you're at to assure you that you haven't been left as an orphan, but he's closer than you could possibly imagine.
0: That's right. And that's, again, like, that's why I hate that language, as I talked about earlier. I think it was now last week, podcast listeners, but the <laughs> same time for you who are live. But the… Um, The man upstairs view of God, it completely flies in the face of what this passage teaches us about where God is and where we are. God is… Any view that you have of God, that God is far away, that God is… Maybe He's far away and angry, or maybe He's far away and like cheering you on, but it's really up to you. You're out there like, you know, Mm -hmm. doing it for Jesus, and um, any view of God that has Him far away is inaccurate. That's right. Um, Paul said, quoting the pagan poets, but making this point and baptizing these ideas, that He is nearer to you than you imagine. He's with us. And here Jesus Himself says, He abides with you and, you will, and He will be in you. Um, there's no world for the Christian where God is far away. It might feel like that sometimes. And that's why, again, we come back to baptism. We come back to the bread and the wine. Because here we give you this thing and we tell you to eat it. Mm -hmm. Like it's so… The symbolism is so blunt, so clear. Like this is the thing we've told you is God, and now eat it. Yeah. So, do you get it? Let it get in your system. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So, uh, because we're simple people, you know? And and we need simple, clear, tangible things, and that's what it's telling us. So, um, uh, and there's just… There's so much love in this passage. On that day, you will know I'm in the Father, you and me, I and you. You love me. Um, I will love them. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful passage, again, that, that recalibrates how we understand
1: God. Yeah, and I think if I was to summarize everything or come up with some sort of big idea from this particular passage to preach on, it's that um, it's that Jesus' love precedes absolutely everything. Mm. Without that love first. You know, we do live in an if-then kind of world relationship with God. But because that love comes first, therefore, you know that Christ will never leave you as an orphan. He'll never forsake you. He will be with you through death to the end of the age and into life everlasting. Where, as our funeral liturgy says, you will see him face to face, but not as a stranger, as a friend. I almost choke up every time I hear that. Yeah.
0: Well, pull yourself together. I know. Um, there's, a, there's a church uh, that somebody told me about, you know, as I'm sure happens at, at Calvary St. G. Uh, there's a lot of people out there that are in spiritual communities that are, um, um, as Sinead O'Connor says, the kind that hurt. Mm. And uh, there was one where the preacher, I think, had said publicly, if you don't leave here feeling worse than you arrived, I haven't done my job. Mm. Because this person wants the congregation to feel convicted of sin and, and, and I guess I guess, motivated to try harder mm. until he grades them next Sunday. And uh, that to me is so contrary to what Jesus here talks about, what every reading we've talked about in this whole session um, talks about, that, that God, as you said, that Jesus' love is, precedes everything. And that's, that's why He's here. He wants to be found. He's like, hello, I love you. So, anyways. I love you and I've forgiven
1: you. I love and you. And all good. Uh, I heard that once too. Uh, well. I'll save it for another another time, but this has been a great, great episode, and I want to say thanks to all of you who stayed, our live studio audience, and and, uh, welcome to Mockingbird, and for those of you who are listening, uh, sign up early for uh, Mockingbird uh, 2024, and we'll see you there. So, uh, God bless you, and have a wonderful, wonderful week.
0: Thanks. Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production, and remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.